Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose here with another exciting show that we're recording in the venue, the very exciting venue of NCAI, the National Congress of American Indians, their annual meeting this year, October 2015, in San Diego, California. As we begin today's show, got another great guest sitting across from me. That is Levi Rickert. Uh, am I getting that name right, Levi? You are. You are. And, Levi, a lot of people know of your work. They may not have met you personally, but you're known for Native News Online. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, Native News Online is uh, a national daily online American Indian publication, and we do news. I post three to five stories per day. And when I say nationwide, you argue worldwide because it's on the web, and I get emails from all over the world. Wow. And you have deep roots in Indian country, right? I do. I am a, a citizen of the Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation based in Mayetta, Kansas. However, I live in Michigan. Okay. And uh, so basically, have you been someone who all your life has had a special interest in Native news and media, or is this a newer interest for you? It's actually a new interest. We started Native news like five years ago. It'll be five years old in February. Um, I'm, I'm proud to announce we're approaching 310,000 followers, likes wow. on Facebook, uh, I think 30,000 on Twitter. Uh, I will say this, I don't really tweet all the time. Okay. Our, our posts go automatically, but we do kind of work the uh, Facebook. Tremendous. So basically here at, at NCAI, you're probably meeting a lot of people who tell you that they love what you do. Well, yes, and I was I was real pleased. I was talking to Kevin Washburn, the uh, Assistant Secretary of the Interior for Indian Affairs, and, and he told me how he feels what Native News is about is very important to Indian country. That, coming from somebody of his caliber, his level, I, I was very pleased. So, Levi, tell us this. If someone has not checked out Native News online, how do they tap into your resources? They can go uh, right to the web, www nativenewsonline.net or they can go to the Facebook page and Google or search within Facebook Native News Online and it'll pop right up and then even through Twitter. Okay, now of course one of the things that American Indian Living is known for is we feature things that are talking about making a difference as far as the health of First Nation peoples. Mm -hmm. So whether it's talking about mental health, physical health, emotional health, whether it's dealing with issues of financial health, and, of course, you're carrying stories that cover the whole range of First Nation issues. Isn't that right? That is correct. As a matter of fact, just today, we um, at around midnight here in San Diego, I posted a story on the uh, Today is um, Indigenous Wednesday, Pink Wednesday Day, as I think they call it. The American Indian Cancer Foundation has designated today. And, and many of the women here at NCAI are, in fact, wearing uh, pink. And I'm getting... Uh, postings from various people around the country who are wearing pink just to, in solidarity in terms of here comes two people right past us as we're talking right, the, the radio listeners can't see it but we have people walking by with pink on and we're really drawing the attention to the significance of uh, 
breast cancer among Native women. No, you're exactly right. I mean, it was like uh, if we were scripting this on television. <laughs> could have been there, been. there she's walking by support breast cancer awareness with her uh, her pink top yeah, there. Could not have been done better. <laughs> now, she's not part of your team. Is she, she is not. Okay. She is not. <laughs> so you're getting the word out there about a lot of cutting-edge issues. Tell us from your vantage point, as you're covering these stories, what kind of things are you excited about happening in Indian country that relate to these broad health-related issues? Well, I am I am excited about prosperity in terms of of you know the tribes seem to be very prosperous in some cases with with wealth. However, um, my main concern and, and I actually kind of hit me more profoundly as I've been here even is you know the discussion about you know one person after the other came up during the IHS presentation at, at General Assembly on Monday talking about high rates of suicide. And mm. so that's so troubling. And, and, and there's, I was in a homeless uh, veterans workshop on Sunday that was talking to address the issue of homelessness among Native veterans. Um, another conversation took place, dealt with the high rates of drug use, meth meth and uh even heroin and so i guess i guess you know i've talked to several people about this mm-hmm. since i've been here is the fact that even with the so-called wealth uh, we're still seeing you know maybe our grandparents generation seem to be better off they didn't have some of these mm-hmm. some of these high rates and you know we're some of the highest of the worst and, and it's very troubling and so as as native people we have got to figure out from a leadership standpoint, how we really arrest some of these significant problems. You know, one of the, the jobs of the press, of course, is to inform, uh, to really pull back the curtain on things that are happening. But when we feature things in media, whether it's radio, whether it's, you know, in the Internet news feed that you have, in the back of our minds, there's always, uh, you know, often some social concerns, and I hear that coming through with you, Levi, as we're speaking about some of these health issues. Do you see some things that are happening here at NCAI that are giving you encouragement that some of the answers are right in Indian country already, that we're not fully utilizing them? Well, I think where I'm encouraged is the fact that some of these issues are being addressed. Excellent. Sometimes, you know, if if you're completely in denial or you just ignore certain things, nothing will happen. It'll Mm -hmm. be the same old... And we really need to grapple with them. Tribal leaders need to grapple with some of these social ills, take the bull by the horns and say, hey, how can we really arrest these problems? So one of the places we can get our finger, if you will, on the pulse of what's happening is at nativenewsonline.net. Levi, how big a team is this? Is that a safe question to ask? It's a safe question. It's a very small team. I mean, I'm the publisher, editor. However, I do have writers throughout the United States, throughout Indian country. Um, it, I'm, I'm thinking a good 20 writers are out there doing it, contributing all the time uh-huh. to Native News Online, the success of it. Uh, and we're also looking for others. So if people want to reach out to me, go to our website. At the very bottom of the homepage is my email address, and it's levi at nativenewsonline.net. So basically, someone's listening today, and they say, "You know, I'd love to be, I'd love to have a career in in writing. Maybe they enjoy that. Is there a way they can just out of the box contribute? I mean, do you accept contributions from people? I do. Yes, and some of my some of the best articles come from people who want to get published. And I like to tell people this that I get my news releases from the White House, Congress, tribes throughout the United States, but some of the best articles really come from grassroots Native people." 
Tremendous, tremendous. So that nativenewsonline.net, that's a website, not just where I can get cutting-edge information. It is a website, yes. But I can actually go there, mm-hmm. and I can find ways to, to share what's happening in my own community, yes. my own tribe. Yes. Wow. So are you? do you cover things that – do you ever say, well, this just has some local import, and it's not going to be of interest to the wide uh, readership I have? Or are you trying to feature things – that are of a nature that might inspire people from uh, maybe a small tribe uh, somewhere. We, we, we love the local, and, and that's is, is somewhat tricky given the fact that it is a wide audience. Right. But, but I think that the uniqueness of who we are as Native people really are found within regions. And, mm-hmm. so, and, and I think the message there is that Native people are not monolithic. Right. And a lot of non-Natives like to think of us as we all think the same. We all do the same. But, you know, in terms of regionalization across Indian country, you know, things are done completely different. Some of the uh, traditional practices or what have you. And I think our, there are common ground. I don't want to, I want to, mm-hmm. I don't want right. to, do not want to ignore those. However, the, the uniqueness and the beauty of who we are as Native people is, and, and you know, like, even since I've been here, I love listening to the bird singers. Well, we don't have the bird singers. In Michigan, it's, uh-huh. it's more of the uh, drum and, and and some of the Anishinaabe type of, of of music, but but the bird singers are here and they have a strong message. I love seeing the elders with the with with the middle middle age and even the youth up there on stage the other night, and it was wonderful to listen to. So Levi, as we're kind of you know painting this broad picture, we're talking about your job and your mission, if you will, in informing people throughout Indian Country. We've talked some about some of the challenges, some of the things that are sobering. You've talked about some of the strengths as you see more prosperity coming into uh, a number of tribes. Any other things that you've picked up on here at NCAI that have encouraged you from the standpoint of just where First Nation peoples are headed as we look toward the future? Well, I I attended the Native Vote uh, presentation last night in as the presidential election is looming on us and it's all, all over the media right now, mm-hmm. I think it's so important, so very important that Native people get engaged in government. Now, mm-hmm. you could argue, and I hear the arguments, why would you vote? Why, why do we want to participate? However, in some states, the Native vote can make all the difference in terms of who gets elected. No, you're right. and, and who gets elected, especially to the presidency, impacts who gets nominated, placed on the Supreme Court. To me, that's where the wars are fought now. Mm. They're not chasing us with on horses. On The Calvary's not chasing on horses, but our wars are really are in the courts many times, and some of these decisions that come down have such huge impacts on Native people. That's why I encourage every place I go when I get an opportunity to talk about the Native vote, how important it really is to vote and 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 you know maybe it's not in our DNA this to vote, but but you know we are native people, and I think that we have got to exercise those rights. And and, and and it wasn't until 1924 American Indians were even allowed to vote in some states. I think it was even from 1960. I think it was Arizona, and so it really is a you know they talk about the right to vote, but but you know it's not just a right to me. It's a privilege. I love going to vote. Sometimes I know that maybe my vote's not even going to. You know, I know what the polls are saying or whatever, but but still I can exercise my right. No, I mean, it's an exciting message that you're giving us because really we're talking about health in its broad sense. And what you're saying is at the end of the day, 
we can't just keep pointing fingers at what someone else is doing. We have to say, what can I do? That's exactly what is my right, responsibility? Doctor. That's exactly right. So am I hearing you right, Levi, that in essence, part of what you're doing is you're informing Native people throughout the country and people beyond that you're highlighting some of these issues mm-hmm. and you're basically making a case for First Nation peoples to be involved in the stories that you're writing about. That, that's very true. That's very true. And I love hearing from the grassroots people. And I get emails all the time from people say, let me tell you my story. And then when, you know, I vet them and make sure they're legit and, and all that good stuff. But then when they get out there and they become big stories, it's just it's just wonderful. And, and you know, even the stories about youth who fight for Indian rights, uh-huh. that's just so important, so important. Now, one of, the, one of the things that's created a lot of dialogue uh, here in this venue, and we try to stay away from political subjects here mm-hmm. uh, on the radio show, but there has been, I've heard a number of people talking about the invitation that NCI uh, gave, to, uh, gave to every uh, political uh, candidate, you know, mm-hmm. any, anyone who's in the running for the presidential office mm-hmm. of the United States. Because this, uh, just to remind our listeners, we're pre-recording this show in October of 2015. So uh, there was a lot of talk about who actually addressed the National Congress, because a number of candidates did. I don't know that uh, that it uh, that it meets our um, uh, meets our purposes to identify who they were. But tell us a little bit about that general process, because were you there? And the, I was uh, there. It, it, what it, was your reaction to that whole dynamic? Well, you know, I, I was really excited that there. I believe there were four. Um, Hillary Clinton was one. She sent a team. There were three or four people on stage uh, with a video. And, and Bernie Sanders sent a video. Ben Carson sent a video. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked the idea that they even were kind enough to reach out to Native people. Because so many times we're forgotten in people's right, right. agenda. And we have got to be part of the uh, talking points of every presidential election. I, I just think it's essential for Native people if we're going to progress. Yeah. So, I mean, I so appreciate what you're doing, Levi, because you're getting the word out. You're sharing what's happening at exciting venues like this. And people, if they weren't here at NCAI, they can go back to mid-October and they can read some of the news stories that have come right out. Is that right? That's, you have your stuff correct. archived. Yes, yes, yes. They are archived there. And, and uh, you know, I've been, I've, I think I've posted two or three stories since I've been here about NCAI. And uh, even when I return to Michigan, I'll be writing about it because there's too much to write about at one time. It really is. Tremendous. Levi, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Again, that's Levi Rickert. He's the publisher and editor of nativenewsonline.net a place where you can get some great, not only insights into what's happening in Indian country, but you can contribute, share your own stories. That's correct. Levi, thanks again. We're going to step away just for a couple of minutes. We've got another great guest waiting to join us. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be back with more from the venue of National Congress of American Indians 2015. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
My name is Florence A.Q. For lunch today, I had grilled chicken and squash. I am Zuni Indian, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. My name is D. Dakota Denesosi. I turned the TV off and took my nieces and nephews for a walk. We saw two jackrabbits, an eagle, and zero cartoons. I'm from the Dine Nation, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. Science has proven that if we lose as little as 10 pounds by walking briskly for 30 minutes, five days a week, and make healthier food choices, we can prevent diabetes. My name is Barbara Akisakpuk Curtis. I'm losing weight and being more active. I am Alaskan Inupak Eskimo, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. For more information on how to prevent diabetes, talk to your health care provider. For free materials, call the National Diabetes Education Program at 1-800-438-5383 and ask for the power to prevent diabetes. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Meryl Streep. Over the years, I have played some characters you could call controlling. But the truth is, there's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can. Colorectal cancer. It affects men and women, and it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., which is astounding, considering it's almost entirely preventable. Here's how. Most colon cancers start as polyps, and screening helps find polyps so they can be removed before they even turn into cancer. Screening also finds this cancer early, when treatment works best. For me, screening was simple and quick. It was no big deal, except for the huge sense of relief you feel afterwards. There are several tests that you can choose from. If you're 50 or older, you should talk to your doctor. Decide which one's right for you. Take control. Do everything you can to prevent colon cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose. We're recording today's show from the venue of the National Congress of American Indians. We're in San Diego, California in a convention venue here. If you're wondering what the noise is in the background, And we're talking with some leading people in Indian country, people who are making a difference. David Hall sitting across from me right now. You're no exception, David. You're doing some exciting stuff in Indian country. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Part of my job at the Center for Domestic Preparedness is to bring Native Americans, the tribal first responders, to our training facility to prepare them for response efforts dealing with WMD, all hazards, and mass casualty incident now, you just rattle that stuff off like you're just living in that world. But for most of us, we hear WMD, we may be scratching our heads. Uh, what exactly is that? Well, that's weapons of mass destruction. So that's uh, chemical, biological, radiological, uh, nuclear, and explosives. So if someone is at a tribal level, they're here. Many people have been rubbing shoulders with you. I saw you active there in your in your booth. And they say, hey, what do we need to to, to know to be ready if someone tries to perpetrate something on our tribal lands. Is that kind of the dialogue that often occurs? Yes, sir. Uh, the biggest thing about being able to, to be at the NCAI conference is we're able to talk to the tribal leaders. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that are able to influence the, the folks within their tribe to be able to attend the training to better prepare their emergency response plans uh, should something happen within their reservation uh, in order to be able to respond to it effectively. 
Now, you guys, I, you've shared with me before we did the interview here uh, on air a little bit about your background. You folks in your division have training in, I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, you've actually worked with some of these uh, infectious agents like anthrax, right? Correct, sir. Um, we have what we call the Cobra Training Facility. It's one of our 48 buildings uh, that we have as a training venue. And in the Cobra Training Facility, we actually train with GB and VX nerve agent, as well as anthrax and ricin. Uh, and that really gives the students who come to our training facility the opportunity to train in that environment and to understand that they can operate in that environment should they be in the proper protective equipment. Okay, so anthrax, we know that's an infectious disease transmitted by spores. You mentioned a couple of other agents. Walk us through those as well. Okay, uh, you take GB and VX nerve agent, uh, sarin gas. Okay. Uh, that's something that was released back in 1995 in Om Shimriko, the Tokyo subway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quickly, because of the mass casualty influx of uh, uh, people going to the hospitals in Tokyo, uh, the hospitals quickly learned that they were overwhelmed. Mm. Uh, the American politicians quickly realized that... Um, America's first responders aren't prepared for that. Okay. And so as a result of that, uh, with Fort McClellan, Alabama, coming on the base realignment and closure list, uh, the what's now known as the Cobra Training Facility uh, was one of the buildings that was turned over to the Department of Justice, and hence the Center for Domestic Preparedness was, was formed in June of 1998. So you're based in Alabama, although you're really a part of the federal government system of facilities, right? Yes, sir. And you actually, David, are the man who is especially tasked with going out to all the tribes and, and doing the trainings. Am I understanding that correctly? Correct, sir. I'm, I'm the outreach coordinator for all the tribal nations uh, throughout the country in order to bring them into our facility for training. Now, you're not only bringing people into your facility, you're doing some innovative things. Did I hear something about something coming up in the spring of 2016? Yes, sir. Uh, in March of 2016, uh, we're going to be doing a tribal training week. We're going to have six classes that is going to be filled with nothing but tribal responders. Um, a lot of them are healthcare based. Uh, we're going to be training folks out of the Indian Health Service who obviously uh, prepare the, the, you know, do a lot of the healthcare for the Native Americans. Um, we're also going to be doing an incident command course. Uh, it's not the ICS course that a lot of people hear about. Uh, mm. It goes more into the Thyra, uh, which is the threat and risk assessment uh, and analysis development for an emergency operations plan. So uh, we'll also be doing a course for the law enforcement protective uh, measures for the law enforcement community mm-hmm. to prepare them up to be able to uh, set up cordons to keep people out of an area or to keep people inside of an area to funnel them out so that they can be decontaminated if necessary. Okay. Now, the great thing about this is at the end of that week, uh, when all the training culminates, we're going to keep all the students there for an extra day, and they're going to be doing what we call an integrated capstone event. So they're going to be doing their portion of what they learned that week in a larger-scale exercise. And so with that larger-scale exercise, people get to see the whole thing of what their efforts endure and how everything works from start to finish. So let me see if I got the picture. March of 2016, you're going to have people from across Indian country all coming to Alabama. Have I got the picture? Yes, sir. And you're going to be training specific people for specific roles throughout that week, but then you're going to pull them all together and actually have a kind of an enacted mass casualty event? Yes, sir. 
Wow. Sometimes we'll do an earthquake scenario. Sometimes we'll do uh, uh, a rail car that flips over uh-huh. uh, where there's a release of a chemical agent. Wow. So there's a number of different scenarios that we have written into our curriculum that we can uh, actively pursue in order to make the training most effective for the Indian country. And so no one really knows what's going to happen until they get there, huh? Amen. Okay. But you know what? It's just like at home. No one knows what's going to happen until it happens. Okay. So you're doing some exciting work. What kind of response are you getting from the tribes? I mean, are, are people excited about what you're offering? Yes, sir. Uh, over the last 15 months or so since I've been designated as the tribal training coordinator, I've done a lot of outreach to the tribes but realized that it takes a lot of uh, 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 work in order to gain their trust. Mm-hmm. So once you gain their trust, uh, it's rather easy to get them. Now, the most encouraging thing for the tribal nations is that we fund the training all up front out of our budget. Wow. Does that include so, the travel? Uh, so we not only make their airline reservations, but we fund it up front. We Do you really? fly them into Atlanta, Georgia, uh, pick them up by a commercial bus, uh, bring them to our campus. We have our own lodging facility and dining facility on site. So all that's provided for them at no cost, as is the training. So how do you keep people away who just want to come for a nice vacation? Well, they've got to qualify to come. I so see. they've got to be in one of the one of the responsible disciplines, uh, you know, for a response effort. Okay. So if someone is a, is involved with law enforcement, if a fire... Fire, uh, hazmat, health care, okay. public health... Uh, you know, there's 17 different disciplines that wow. that's covered. So how does someone get more information? They're getting excited. They say, wow, this is something I'd like to do. How do they get a hold of you? Well, they can visit our website at http colon slash slash cdp.dhs.gov, or they can email me at david.hall at fema.dhs.gov, or they can call my desk at 866-213-9548. Okay, let's see if I've got some of this down because I know that went by quickly. I don't know if I don't know if that website is easy or not to remember. So I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the email and the phone number. So you're David Hall. Yes, sir. So I think we can remember that. Just stick a dot there. So David dot Hall at FEMA dot DHS. That's for the Department of Homeland Security. Yes, sir. Is that right? Dot gov. Okay. Uh, for those who say, I've heard of FEMA for years, but what does that stand for? The Federal Emergency Management Agency. Okay, so FEMA.DHS.gov is the domain. David.Hall at FEMA.DHS.gov. Okay, I think I've got that. Now give us that phone number one more time. It's 866-213-9548. Okay, 866. So that makes it a toll-free number, yes, right? Yes, sir. 866-213-9548. David, since we got that contact information out there, I wanted to make sure we gave it because a lot of exciting things happening in your area. Tell us from your vantage point, as you've been dealing with tribal nations, have you sensed that as you work with First Nation peoples, there's some issues there that may be a little bit different than what you're hearing in other sectors of the population? Are are there concerns about certain types of disasters that... Uh, are different than maybe what you're hearing from other responders? You know, not not exactly. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear, I mean, different communities obviously have different concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll hear sometimes about rail safety, uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes about uh, the airplanes that are spraying chemicals over, you know, farming communities and whatnot. Uh Um, uh, But, I mean, generally the, the issues are the same. 
And I mean, that's what I would expect the answer to be. But, you know, since you're working in that discipline, I'm thinking, well, is there anything, you know, unique in Indian country that people would be asking you to be different than anywhere else? Talk with us a little bit about this agricultural issue, because where tribal lands are in close proximity to other communities, sometimes there's these big issues. And and that's kind of a touchy one, isn't it? It is. So, um, but you're educating people as far as what to do if there is some kind of an emergency, right? Well, if, for instance, if if a, if if a plane misses its target and sprays over a, a village or a community, uh-huh. uh, what do they have to do? Well, they have to start to decontaminate people, obviously, depending on what the, the substance may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to know how to set up that decon line. So we have courses that... that teach the Indian community to actually set up that decon line and perform the decon operations. Okay. And then they can go into medical treatment facility after that for any care that they need. Wow. But you don't want to introduce anyone that's been sprayed, uh, you know, into a hospital, into a medical treatment facility. And then contaminate other people. Exactly, because it contaminates the facility as well. You're doing great work, David. Our time in this segment has slipped away from us. I know you're very busy here at NCAI. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. That was David Hall. One more time, his contact information, david.hall at fema.dhs.gov, or you can call him at 866-213-9548. So that phone number for him, 866-213-9548. You're listening to Dr. David DeRozan, American Indian Living. We have to slip away, but we've got other great guests coming to us from NCAI 2015. Don't go away. We will be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. I'm Karen, and two very important people in my life, my husband and my father, have been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation, or AFib, is a type of irregular heartbeat. People with AFib are five times more likely to have a stroke than people without AFib. Talk with a healthcare professional today about your risk and learn how to manage AFib to prevent a stroke. Visit stroke.org AFib to learn more. My name is Mira Batra. I have been in this country 32 years, and this is how I live united. America has always been the land of promise, and in my community, many families have come for a better life. Coming from another culture myself, I know the desire to become part of a community, to feel at home, and to gain the tools for our children and families to succeed. So I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to look beyond their histories and to see what opportunities are available. We help them get involved with their kids' schools, network within the community, and when we do, we unite them. We make the community stronger. What I do is something I wish someone had done for me, and I am so grateful I am able to. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunities and succeed. I don't just wear the shirt. I live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Did you know that 63% of homes contain allergens from cockroaches? And that mice spread potent asthma triggers found in 82% of homes? It's true. Common household pests are major offenders on the list of indoor allergens. Learn what you can do to help your family breathe easier. 
visit pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are here at NCAI. It's San Diego, California, where we're recording. It's October of 2015. And, uh, boy, it's amazing, the people that are here at NCAI and the great guests that uh, are willing to share their time. No exception across from me right now, Ken Denslow. Ken, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Ken, you are uh, really not a local at all. You're coming from clear across the country. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your home base and what you do. Okay. I uh, actually live in Maryland. I work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm a, one of the... Uh, administrators for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and our headquarters is in uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. I was in a meeting earlier this week here at NCAI, and one of the topics of discussion was actually the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they were talking about how this church is here present at NCAI every year. They're doing a lot of exciting stuff. Tell us a little bit about what's happening in the booth area that your uh, church members are involved with. Sure. I think we have uh, 12 booth spaces in the exhibit hall this year. Uh, it's, it's a big common area, and uh, the emphasis, as it always is at the NCAI convention, is on health. We have a number of health experts who are here doing uh, health screening and uh, interacting, talking about uh, wellness with people who come by the booth. It's uh, been well attended and I think well received. Now, I know in addition to having a strong health presence at NCAI, you have a number of folks who are Seventh-day Adventists, who are delegates, who are involved in the proceedings here at NCAI. And yesterday, I had the privilege of of sitting in with uh, some of the exciting things that were happening uh, among this group of Seventh-day Adventists who are trying to give back to their communities. Give us a little flavor for the kind of things that Seventh-day Adventists are doing that are making a difference in the health of Indian country? Sure. Um, It's uh, my privilege to work with a a group of people across the country that uh, are involved in uh, work with uh, Native Americans. Uh, We met yesterday, as you mentioned, uh, for our our meeting several years ago. We um, made the decision to have our annual advisory meeting in conjunction with NCAI so that uh, we could be here, uh, interface with with uh, tribal leaders and, and people from across, uh, across the United States. And uh, so we heard reports yesterday, and there are some exciting things happening in different places across uh, North America. Uh, we have... Uh, Initiatives in in the area of health and education, certainly uh, those are, are areas of uh, where where we can work with tribal leaders in in numerous places, but it varies. There's so many different ways. There are there are people, for instance, there's a there's a couple uh, on the Navajo Nation in the Navajo Nation who who uh, spend their time 
working. Uh, they have a, they've built a community service center there in their community. Uh, they are involved in uh, refurbishing and building new houses mm. for people who have lost their homes, sometimes through fire, sometimes they've just uh, moved into a, a community on the reservation and, and need to find housing. Uh, and it's been uh, very well received. It's not large scale, but it's what one family has been able to do with many volunteers, uh, both on the reservation and from off the reservation. One of the things that excited me about being in that venue, Ken, was uh, just like you're mentioning, it's a lot of people who are giving back, sometimes in really big ways, other times projects that we might say are smaller. Early in this uh, NCAI venue, I actually had Deb Claymore uh, doing an interview. Deb has been on the show before. She's known throughout Indian country for her work with substance use and substance abuse. But I heard her sharing about a program that I could tell you got very excited about. Tell us a little bit about something else uh, Deb was involved with as far as uh, clothing. Oh, yes. And, oh. Yeah, tell us about that. That's an exciting program. Uh, and she she is uh, involved uh, with a program called Coats for Kids, mm. and she lives in a in a very cold climate, uh, and uh, she sees these kids very much in need of good warm winter clothing. And one of the and, and so she has been involved in this in 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 raising money to to get coats for kids. The, the the really cool thing that she said yesterday was she said, we don't want to just find hand-me-down coats mm. to give these kids. We want them to have good, new, uh, attractive uh, coats uh-huh. to, to wear. And then she went on to tell the story of going into schools in, in her area and distributing these coats to the students and how elated they are to have not just a coat but a new coat mm-hmm. and that they can... Uh, keep warm and, and they can be proud of, of the of the clothing that they're wearing. Now, Ken, you and I have talked some prior to sitting down to actually record this segment, and you were not someone who had deep roots in Indian country. <laughs> you hadn't had a lot of contact with Native Americans, yeah. but now you're in a role where you're actually helping to champion some Native American causes and helping facilitate dialogue among people, not just throughout uh, the United States, but through all of North America into Canada. How did that transition happen? (laughs) Well, it's one of the ironies of life. Uh, I had spent uh, the previous 21 years in a state that had uh, uh, virtually no uh, Native reservations. uh, and, And frankly, frankly, it just wasn't on my radar, and mm. I went to a new job, and I was assigned uh, the oversight of, of Native ministry for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I grabbed a hold of it and, and, and ran with it with some excitement, uh, but also with a recognition that I, I was naive mm. and, uh, and had, did not have experience in, in the area. But fortunately for me, I was—I uh, had some people around me who had a tremendous amount of experience, who, who uh, uh, were uh, enrolled in their own tribes, and and they have been great mentors to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've—I I found that this uh, role that I was given and took on has been one of education for me, and uh, I am so glad 
that I've had this opportunity. I've had, uh, I've learned a lot. I've got a lot more to learn. But the thing that beyond the learning is the inspiration hmm. to see people taking up a cause for their people, um, and uh, just looking for ways to to um, to reach out the sense of community uh, that that I have witnessed and and the it, it it it's been it's been heartening at the same time i recognize that um there are huge needs in the native population uh across uh the north uh, across north america and uh it's a tremendous challenge i sit in the meetings here and i recognize that even the leaders the tribal leaders sometimes are they they're doing more than you could imagine but with with uh uh, sometimes very difficult situations, mm-hmm. and and I I I'm I'm challenged along with them to to know how we can improve the the life of uh, of native population. I think for me, one of the areas that is most um, most challenging is is that of of uh, mental health or emotional health. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to hear the statistics, and and not be moved by by uh, the, the the stories that are told, and 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 uh, most dramatically the the suicide rate mm. that occurs in too many of the reservations. Well, what's exciting to me, you know, as you bring up some of these topics, is you can and the folks that you work with in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and I've I've heard this at multiple uh, NCAI events over the years. It's regularly a venue where we're recording programming. I've heard people talking about how they appreciate the fact that they see that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is trying to make a difference in Indian country. And I know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, people may say, well, it's not a huge investment, but it is. I mean, I know sitting in the meeting, I know I, I was there. I heard the kind of dialogue and the kind of projects that you're supporting and the kind of vision that that you and those in, in leadership are trying to champion, even though you may not have deep roots in Indian country, you're saying, you know, we value this and we want to support our people who are actually trying to make a difference, whether it's providing coats for kids, whether it's helping with mental health, whether it's running youth camps. I think that was another thing yes. that I, I sense there was real excitement. Uh, folks out in Oklahoma, actually, we've uh, featured some of their programs in the past on the show, but uh, I noticed some real enthusiasm as people throughout Indian country sitting there around the same table, all representing the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but they're saying, you know, there's something exciting happening in Oklahoma, training Native youth, trying to give them uh, a better foundation from the beginning to kind of uh, fortify them against some of these challenges. What did you hear going on in that dialogue from your vantage point? Yeah. I really like the camp idea. And, and by the way, uh, several of the uh, directors from different parts of, of the United States uh, heard the report that that you heard, and um, they uh, have got excited about, uh, about uh, replicating uh, mm-hmm. what they're doing in Oklahoma but the thing that I the, that I really liked uh, about the report from Oklahoma was they're very intentional about incorporating this isn't just a camp where kids go and have a good time they want them to come there learn about their own heritage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and leave 
proud of, of, of their background and knowing uh, more about who they are and, and their history. And I think that's very important. It requires a, a strong network of, of uh, instructors uh, from within the tribe that, that uh, can speak to those issues with uh, authenticity and, and accuracy. Uh, but to, if you, you could just imagine if that was being replicated at, at our s- string of camps uh, across the, the country where, where Native young people can come in and leave better attached to their own um, to their own tribal history than they were before. That's that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and it's exciting to see the team that you've pulled together there because you've got a enrolled tribal member who's also a Seventh Day Adventist pastor. I know that was one of the people that was leading out, and they're pulling people from other churches. Uh, I think they mentioned someone who's active in the Baptist Church who's helping with right. some of the tribal uh, uh, cultural training. So it's an exciting concept, and I. I heard there that kids were getting grounded both spiritually, mentally, physically in those camps because some of them, you know, have come out of situations that are less than ideal. So that was an exciting chapter. Well, you know, Ken, the problem I got with this show is the clock just keeps running. We've just got a short time left in this segment. Any closing thoughts as we wind up? Uh, the, the mission statement of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Church in North America talks about sharing uh, a message of hope and wholeness. Mm. And uh, we see those opportunities for education and, and health, uh, well, uh, wellness, uh, as, as opportunities to establish wholeness, especially with education. Um, I, I don't know of a, of a better way to, to develop hope in young people than uh, through an emphasis on education in all of its aspects. Ken, our time has slipped away. I I thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man. I know that uh, duty is calling you before too long back to the East Coast. But thank you so much for joining us. Ken Denslow with the North American Division for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He and uh, his members making a big difference here at NCAI. We'll be back with a final segment in today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. What I say, you already know, but you don't believe. You won't accept, you don't conceive. When you're inside your car, you feel safest of all. Are you safe? Are you? Two tons of sheet metal in your hands. Two tons don't run on autopilot. You have a mission. It's no collision. Hold the phone. Don't text. You're angling to be next. Oh, you've done it before. What's the harm? Just this once. There's no alarm. Got your hands on the wheel? No big deal. Brothers and sisters, you won't see it coming. You're off the road. Your life explodes. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You only think there's nothing to it. Put it down, hang up, pay attention to highway action. Behind the wheel, there is no such thing as a small distraction. Join the conversation at DecideToDrive.org, a public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, who would rather help keep your bones strong than put them back together. We are here to say a word about cancer. When you talk to someone who has been diagnosed with cancer, be positive. Be supportive. That's it. 
Stop right there. Don't start telling them about your Uncle Vern. Or the next door neighbor. Don't be grim. Try not to disappear either. Don't cross to the other side of the street. Don't stop calling. Don't cry. Don't ever say you're living my worst nightmare. You know who you are. Here's the important part. Be positive. Be positive. Se positivo. Say these words. You will do great. Keep calling. Check in. Be a friend. Or be a new friend. Be a supportive. Positive friend. Smile. Try not to be afraid. Or act afraid. Fear is not useful. Be a funny, hopeful human being. If you come across cancer, let it transform you into your most positive self. And inspire. Urge. Fortify. Rally. Encourage someone to do great. This message brought to you by Cancer Survivors. For more information, to hear stories or share your own, visit DoGreatCampaign.com. Do great. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose from the venue of National Congress of American Indians in San Diego, California. It's 2015. And our final guest today, someone... I'm always happy to see, honestly, Alma Ransom. Alma, it is so great to have you. Thank you. Thank You're looking you. skeptical like I'm not happy to see you. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> good, good. Alma, it's a pleasure because not only are you someone who's well-connected in Indian country, many people know you. You are a former tribal chief there of the St. Regis uh, Mohawk Nation, but you've been very active in national Native American affairs. But you're someone who lives a healthy lifestyle. I hope I do, because I'm healthy as heck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now someone may not be able to tell by your voice, but you are, you've already had your 50th birthday, right? Oh, my God. I guess I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, But you're going strong, and you've had some things in your life. Someone was telling me, actually, and, and this was behind your back, so I'm, I'm confessing. They were telling me that you and your husband have such good health. You were telling another uh, tribal leader here how excited you were about the healthy lifestyle you have because you have outlived many of your peers. Is that a, a true story? Yes, yes. Uh, w- many young people have gone and people our age have gone and uh, we're sticking together because we're all darn near alone pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah. So what have you been doing? What what lessons are there for other people in Indian country from your lifestyle? Well, I guess it's not eating anything crazy. Okay. You know, we 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 eat um we we were strictly meat and potato people mm-hmm. to survive many many years as children. That's that's how that was and some actually some fish Ate fish and no preservatives of any sort, you know, for, for, that's, that's the taste we like. Okay. So naturally we don't, we don't eat any, um, spicy foods. Mm-hmm. We, we really don't. And, um, we've been, uh, we've been well, um, taught to eat our own foods like beans and, vegetables as much as possible maybe because meat wasn't always so available to us so veggies Mm -hmm. have been our mainstay okay let me see if i'm putting this together right because i hear you on on one hand saying you 
grew up with kind of an enjoyment for meat and potatoes, but now I hear you talking about vegetables. Are you saying that all those things together are an ideal diet, or have you moved more to the vegetable side of things and away from so much meat? More vegetable now. As children growing up with almost insufficient food, Ah, we ate what was available, and that is meat and potatoes and nothing fancy. Uh uh You know, and, um, and now we're aware about the vegetable and fruits and stuff like that and we're conscious of it and we're doing something about it like beans any form of beans we make that choice when you have a selection to make Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. we make that choice because nobody complains and we take that food because we know it's good for us i was in a meeting yesterday and while this group was meeting, you came in and shared, yep. you know, your health story. And I think a lot of people were were struck by the fact that you were emphasizing so much a traditional Native American food, which is the beans. And I think you said something like beans in any form. And I, did you go so far as to say to every meal? As many meals as necessary. You know, we'll choose that. We will choose that. If we have red beans, then we have corn soup, which is all vegetable, and there's a lot of beans in it, red beans, mm-hmm. you know, kidney beans. Right. We have that, and corn, which is also our natural food. Mm-hmm. And the vegetables, there's nothing fancy about turnips and carrots. We eat that's, that's somebody says that's what we're having, and people will pull up and eat, <laughs> sit up and eat, because uh-huh. it's, it's a mainstay for us. So you can have that meal more than once a week or actually till it's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. What's exciting to me is is you're talking just very practically. You know, and and you and your husband, Orlo, who's actually standing by here. uh, By the way, I'm going to just greet you, Orlo, because I didn't see you at the beginning of the uh, interview. He's just uh, dropped by. You folks are living examples of the benefits of eating more of these indigenous plant foods. And the medical research is exciting because we keep finding these studies showing that, you know, the the fiber in beans lowers cholesterol. It helps to stabilize the blood sugar. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Now, in many places in Indian country, there's a lot of diabetes. Is that true among the Mohawk Nation? Yes, extremely, extreme case of bad diabetes among our people. Now, have you seen any benefits to the beans as far as diabetes prevention in in your experience? Well, like I said, I go on the radio at home. When we first experienced the good results of eating like that for three weeks, Mm -hmm. regimented for three weeks, we did that. And the changes, the changes we saw, I wanted to share with our friends. We went everywhere and shared those results and um and explaining that the beans was really kicking in mm-hmm. like uh you have canned string beans you you have all kinds of stuff i mean ta- even that taco you know that's not our our main we have it um where they got meats all kinds of stuff i, I don't know of <laughs> you know, right, but right. there's plenty of beans in there, and it's great. It's great. So in almost in any form, baked beans is a main meal. You know. Now, 
Now, you have a great memory, Alma, and some of my listeners are regular listeners. They recognize your voice. Maybe they, they know you from other contexts. But you referenced something that you talked about in the meeting yesterday and that you and I have talked about, and that was you went on an intensive lifestyle change journey many years ago now. Yes, yes. Uh, you went to a facility where actually I was working at the time, I believe, the Lifestyle Center of America mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, and that's where you got really re-energized about some of these indigenous foods, right? Yes, because it affected our life very much. We lost weight, and we saw the cholesterol go down. Mm-hmm. We saw us maintaining our blood pressure, and the cholesterol for me was was going to be out of control. Okay, and I and I couldn't do anything about it, you mm. know, but. All that changed. We were doing practically the right thing, but not enough. Mm. The walking, the regimented walking after Mm -hmm. a meal, we never did that. We're right back to work, right into the hard work, steady work, either all sitting down or standing all day. And we didn't do that. But we learned that you walk around and you don't flop on a easy chair Uh uh that was good and the fact that we had a lot of beans always in our life but we stressed more once we learned the results of what it did for us i think it's a powerful example And, and what i would encourage tribal leaders to do and people that work in health departments is uh i would give you and i know alma's not giving you a formal challenge maybe she'll give me some words of support on this But encourage your tribal members to just take several weeks and get on a very simple diet with a lot of activity. Uh, Eat a lot of those plant foods, a lot of beans, Mm -hmm. nuts, seeds, vegetables, and see what happens to your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your weight, because that's exactly what you did, right? Yes, yes. And theoretically, you could have done that right at home in Akwesasne there in... uh, But we didn't know how to combine those things, you know, and and we learned... that was very, I was very impressed with uh, us not doing so much extra stuff other than the regiment mm-hmm. of walking, not running, okay. walking, walking. That, that, that was so good. And we saw highly diabetic people with us who prospered. Mm-hmm. They, they got so good. Blood they sugars got, came down. They, it came down. And to see that and... My whole family is diabetic, mm. and and I saw m- my brother waste away and die, and, and I promised it's going to do something or say something to a lot of people about that. Wow. I couldn't help him. Were you able to stay away from diabetes yourself, Alma? I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Tremendous. Tremendous. Neither is Orlo, my That's... husband, neither. And we eat the same stuff because of my being on a radio with stuff like this, mm-hmm. um, people just plain come up to me and say, hey, we're eating baked beans more often than you can imagine. <laughs> Alma, thank you so much for your yeah. example. Our time has slipped away. Okay. But thank you always. I'd love to see you at NCI, and I love your enthusiasm. 
you're a real living example of not only making a difference in Indian country through your example, through the things you've done in leadership, but also through your lifestyle. Thank you so much. we got to run. You've been listening to Dr. David DeRose. Today's edition of American Indian Living, hopefully it's made a difference in your life. And for all of us, as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.